0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, hello, New Life. It's good to be with you again today. And Spike, thank you for that incredible song. I know that you have written something deep from your own heart with that one. So thank you for giving that to us. I love it when we can take the music that we have and use it as worship, as a reflection of our desire, and, and it shapes prayers in our hearts. And What a great song as we head into the final message in our Why Jesus series. And this is a series that we've been in for a few weeks where we've been taking a look at the life of Jesus and this incredible person who changed the course of human history. And, and we're changing the question, why him? Like, Why is he so significant? Because when we encounter Jesus, he can change our lives forever. And, So we kicked the series off by taking a look at the validity of him being a real person who lived and did amazing things and ron kicked us off in that and looked at that jesus was legit he wasn't just some legend that was blown out of proportion he was a legit person in history who did incredible things and and then we spent some time really taking a look at what jesus claimed about himself who he thought he was his sense of identity and what he came to do for us and And we saw that jesus understood himself to be so much more than just a good person or good teacher or or just an enlightened human being who pointed us on a path that jesus claimed he was the path jesus tells us that he he says in john 14 6 jesus said i am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me and and that's a big claim to make and and those are big words to say and and i think it would be fair for us to say, hey, anyone could say something like that, but Jesus, how can we know you, you actually are that person? How can we know that you can do that for us? And, and we aren't the only people who would ask that question. In Jesus' day, the, the religious establishment challenged him in that very way because Jesus started to do things that kind of threatened what they were doing and wanted to point them back to the right path with God and point them to himself. And so there's the story in John chapter 2 where, where Jesus shows up to the temple in Jerusalem and he takes in what has been going on and he sees the corruption that had been happening there and how they're turning it into a for-profit industry, which was never God's heart for that place. And so Jesus kind of goes to town one day and he's flipping over the carts of the money changers and everyone who, who are ripping people off in God's temple. And, and the religious leaders are incredibly upset with him. And they ask him this question in John chapter 2. This is what they say. The Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about his own life. And this is a huge claim that Jesus is making. That when I am killed, I will not stay dead. You want to know the proof that I am who I say I am and I can do for you what I claim to do for you? Then when I'm killed, I will not stay dead. I will defeat death. I will rise again. And that's how you can know that I am who I say I am and I can do for you what I claim to do for you. That's a big claim. And it's really what makes Christianity unique amongst other belief systems or religion religions in the world. It hinges on this historical event. The, the validity of our faith in Jesus hangs on whether or not he actually rose from the dead. And so if it's not true, then we could maybe look at Jesus as a a figure in history that we can admire, but, I mean, he's certainly not our hope. He's certainly not our Savior. And this is what the first Christians understood about who Jesus was. One of the early Christian leaders, a guy named Paul, says this in one of his letters to the first Christians in the first century. First Corinthians 15, 14, Paul writes this. He says, If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. So it's kind of a significant feature of the Christian faith, whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, because if not, then there's no real point in being Christian. But if it's true, if it's true, then that means that everything Jesus claimed about himself is true, and we can put our faith in him. We can begin to follow him as the one that leads us into life. We can have confidence in who he is, that he's come to lead us out of the brokenness of this world we're all caught up in, to lead us out of our own brokenness, and to lead us into the hope of a new life with God once again. And so the resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. And I think one of the questions that we could ask is, well, did it happen? I mean, can we really come to a point of having confidence that we can believe that this thing actually happened and Man, I I certainly hope it's true. All of my hopes rest in who Jesus is, so I hope it's true. But but more than just hoping, can we have a sense of confidence in believing that it actually happened? Can we do more than just kind of close our eyes and cross our fingers and say, I hope this is true? Is it possible to chase the question, did Jesus rise from the dead, and come to a place of confidence to think it actually makes sense to believe this happened. And I think this is an important question to wrestle with. I think it's an honest question to wrestle with. I think we should have permission to wrestle with the question. Because if this really happened, then the more we explore it, it would make sense that we would say, I think it did. And if it didn't happen, we would wanna discover that for ourselves. And so as we chase after that question, here's something that we know for sure. Shortly after Jesus' death, something happened. Something that changed the course of human history. So much so that we're still talking about it today, some 2,000 years later. And so if we're going to chase after the question, what happened? Well, there's some things that need to be explained. some, Some facts of history that have to account for whatever explanation we come up with about what happened after Jesus' death. And so here are some facts of history that need to be explained. There's about five of them. Here's the first one. There was an empty tomb. (laughs) So on the other side of Jesus' death, there was an empty tomb. And so whatever theory we come up with, whatever explanation has to account for why was that tomb empty. And we could come up with all sorts of reasons and we'll explore some in just a moment. But something else that needs to be explained is the experiences of Jesus' first followers. So they claim to have encountered something. They claim to have encountered him. And so whatever explanation we come up with has to give good reason for what they experienced. But more than just explaining their experiences, whatever theory we come up with has to explain the transformation in the lives of Jesus' first followers. Because when Jesus was arrested on that, that night, His followers scattered, they ran for their lives in fear that they would get arrested too and wind up in the same place he did, with the same fate he did. But the incredible thing is sometime after Jesus' death, the very people that were running for their lives were standing in the very streets where Jesus had been executed and proclaiming that he came back from the dead with confidence and boldness, not cowards anymore. What did they experience that caused that transformation in their lives? to the point that most of them died for the story they told. So whatever theory we have needs to explain that transformation. Something else that needs to be explained is the conversion of James. James is Jesus' brother, his half-brother, if you believe the story as it's told. And so the whole time Jesus was alive and walking and teaching and doing all these incredible things, James never bought into who his brother was. He didn't believe the stories about Jesus. But after Jesus dies, something happens in James that he suddenly comes to believe that his brother was who he said he was, so much so that he becomes one of the early leaders in the church, in the movement of Jesus. So what happened that caused James to go from, an, from a skeptic to a full-on believer? And here's the cool thing about James. James was an insider skeptic from day one who suddenly becomes a follower of Jesus. So we have to explain that. Something else that needs to be explained is the conversion of a guy named Paul. So Paul was a religious leader, one of the the Pharisees, the, the Jewish movement that didn't like Jesus and his whole goal in life was to destroy the early movement of Jesus. So he's an outside antagonist who suddenly has some experience. He says he encounters Jesus and he becomes Christianity's most ardent defender. What caused that conversion of Paul? And so these are the things that need to be explained. And so whatever we look for, whatever explanation we come up with, it has to account for these historical facts. It's kind of like playing that classic board game clue that whatever story you have, whatever explanation, it has to account for what's in the envelope. And if the explanation doesn't account for what's in the envelope, it doesn't work. And so the Christian explanation is what they told from the start. The story told by his followers that Jesus did what he said he would do he rose from the dead. That's the Christian explanation. But are there other explanations? Well, well, there are some. And so let's look at some of the alternative explanations and see if they hold water, see if they can make sense of the things that need to be explained. And so here's one of the first alternative explanations, one of the oldest ones that exists. And this is it. That the disciples stole Jesus' body. And this is one of the oldest and original alternative explanations of what happened after Jesus died. In fact, this is actually recorded in the stories of Jesus by his first followers because they understood that this story was being circulated. So Matthew, in Matthew 28, he writes this. This is the first time this story was told, this alternative explanation. And he writes in verses 11 through 14 of Matthew 28, As the women were on their way, Meaning that the women had gone to visit the grave of Jesus, found it empty, and were leaving. So as the women were on their way, some of the guards, the guards who were guarding the, the tomb of Jesus, the, the, the grave, went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. And a meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe and they told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we, while we were sleeping and they stole his body. And if the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. Because the fall asleep on the job back then was a potential death sentence. And so here's the story that they're told to give, that Jesus' disciples stole the body while we were sleeping. Which is a weird story if you think about it. Because if we were to ask the guards, hey, who stole the body? And they said, oh, his disciples. The next question would be, well, why didn't you stop them? Oh, because we were sleeping. But wait, if you were asleep, how do you know who stole the body? Well, it was his disciples. Well, why didn't you stop them? Well, we were like, this doesn't make sense. But there's still a sense in which this is a potential alternative explanation that Jesus' disciples stole the body and told a story to keep the dream alive. Well, does this make sense of the facts that need to be explained? Does it hold water? Well, when we look at these historical facts, it explains some of them. So for instance, it explains the empty tomb. Well, of course the tomb is empty. The disciples stole the body. It does explain the experiences of Jesus' first followers because what they experienced was ultimately a lie that they told. But it doesn't explain the transformation in the lives of the disciples because if they know this is a lie, why did they die for their lie? That makes no sense. And yet almost every single one of them signed the witness of their story with their own blood because they were killed for the story they told. You would think that if they were making it up because they're trying to gain something, the minute pressure was on them, they would have backed out of the story. No, no, this isn't true. Like, please don't kill me. That's what I would do. I'm pretty sure that's what you would do. And so it doesn't explain the transformation of the disciples who died for the story that they encountered but it also doesn't explain the conversion of James. If James wasn't convinced when Jesus was alive, Jesus' death would have just confirmed what he thought all along. And then his buddies telling some story wouldn't convince James. So James's conversion wouldn't make sense if all that happened were the disciples stole the body. And this certainly doesn't explain the conversion of Paul. Paul claimed he encountered the resurrected Jesus who transformed his story. But if there was no resurrected Jesus, then there's no conversion of Paul. And so even though this one sounds appealing at face value, it doesn't give us full explanatory scope of what needs to be explained. It doesn't make the most sense. So are there others? Well, there's a few more we're going to look at right now. Here's another alternative explanation. Everyone went to the wrong tomb. And so here's how this one goes. So after Jesus died, a man named Joseph asked Pontius Pilate if he could take the body down, and he and a friend Nicodemus went and placed Jesus in Joseph's tomb. So Joseph, who owned the tomb, places Jesus in the body. And then the religious establishment are concerned that the, the body will get stolen, so they place guards outside the tomb. And then on that first Easter Sunday, we're told that some women went to the tomb because they were going to finish embalming Jesus, preparing his body for, for after his death. And, And so apparently what happened is that the the path to the the tomb of Jesus was to turn left, but the women in their grief turned right and they went to the wrong tomb, found it empty and assumed a resurrection. So they run back to find the rest of the disciples and Jesus' followers, Peter and John, come running to find the tomb and they make the wrong turn. Instead of going left, they go right. They find an empty tomb as well. Ah, empty tomb. Jesus must be risen from the dead. Word gets out on the street. The guards are questioned, and the guards are like, I guess we, 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 we blew it, Jesus came out. But they forgot which tomb they were guarding, so when they go check, they find an empty tomb as well. Joseph, who owns the tomb, forgets which tomb is his. Instead of going left to his tomb, he goes right to his. I mean, this is the story that's told. It just seems a bit odd, but okay, it's an option. Does it make sense? Well, when we look at it, it does explain the empty tomb. It was the wrong tomb. It maybe explains the experiences of the disciples that they did encounter an empty tomb, but we're told that for the majority of them, the empty tomb wasn't enough to convince them that Jesus actually came back from the dead. They were more confused by that. It certainly doesn't explain the transformation in the lives of Jesus' followers because there was no resurrected Jesus they encountered. It was simply the wrong tomb. It doesn't explain the conversion of James, and it doesn't explain the conversion of Paul. So this one, again, just doesn't make sense of what it needs to explain. So here's another alternative explanation. This one is this one is actually my personal favorite. It was a case of mistaken identity, Uh, meaning that what happened after Jesus was killed and thrown in the tomb a few days later, somebody who just looked enough like Jesus was walking around Jerusalem and his disciples encountered this person and thought, Jesus, you're back from the dead. My, my favorite twist or spin on this is that Jesus actually had a twin brother that no one knew about. That's the explanation that people give that, that, that maybe this guy, let's just call him Jesse. We don't know what happened to Jesse in the story. Maybe he got left in the manger or maybe the wise men took him and that's what they gave the gifts. They bought Jesse or we don't know what happened, but Somehow Jesse makes his way back to Jerusalem shortly after, a few days after his twin brother, whom apparently he didn't know about, was killed. And here's Jesse walking the streets of Jerusalem and some people run up to him and they're like, Jesus, we're so excited, you're not dead. And before Jesse can explain who he is, maybe he likes the attention, we don't know. They find somebody, twin brother or not, who looks like Jesus, they think it's Jesus, and they made a horrible mistake. Does that explain what happened? Well, let's look. Does this one hold water? Well, it does explain the experiences of Jesus' first followers. They experienced someone who looked like Jesus but wasn't Jesus. But this doesn't explain the empty tomb because the real body of Jesus would still be in that tomb. And if the religious establishment gets word of this, all they have to do now is go to the tomb and produce the body of Jesus and say, hey, whoever that person is, Not Jesus. Look, here he is. They could have a dead Jesus parade, as macabre as that might be. That's what they would do to prove that this person wasn't Jesus. It also doesn't explain the transformation in the lives of the disciples because how long would it take them to suddenly figure out, you're not Jesus. Like, you kind of look like him, but you're not this guy we've lived with for over three years. And again, it wouldn't explain the conversion of James because James would be like, either he would know the family story or whatever, be like, that's not my brother. And it wouldn't explain the conversion of Paul. So is there another alternative explanation then that makes sense of all those facts? There actually is one. There's one explanation other than an actual resurrection that explains all the historical facts that need to be explained. Jesus was an alien. This is a legitimate alternative explanation that's thrown out sometimes. And if you think about it, it makes sense of everything that happened. It explains all the miraculous things about Jesus is he had super alien powers or whatever that would have been. Uh, maybe when he was killed, he had the ability to regenerate or the, the, the alien ship beamed out and put like a, a robot there and beamed Jesus back. Like We don't know, but it makes sense of everything because the tomb was empty because an alien Jesus regenerated. What the disciples experienced was this supernatural alien kind of being. Uh, it, the transformation was because they thought it was, a, was Jesus resurrected and they interpreted it into the lens of their day. James suddenly sees this and thinks, whoa, that explains all the weird things that you did. Paul would encounter this person and be like, it, it's one of those explanations. It explains everything. But the problem is, it explains everything. It doesn't simply explain the resurrection. It explains everything about life that we don't understand. Now we finally understand who shot JFK. It was the alien. Now we finally understand what happens when my daughter's homework digitally disappears. It's not a dog, it's the aliens. So the problem with this explanation is that it actually explains too much. It's it's too implausible in that way. And so the other explanation is the original one that his first followers told. the, The story that the first followers of Jesus told that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. That he defeated death. And if that seems incredible, it's because it is incredible. That the story actually makes sense, though. When we open the envelope, an actual resurrection is the thing that explains all the facts of history. It explains why we're still talking about Jesus today. And it's incredible because it is incredible. It's incredible because we're told that God loved us so much. He did something incredible for us. He sent his son into this world. That whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, but have the hope of eternal life because Jesus would defeat death and offer us life, forgiveness, transformation, restoration. That's what he came to do for us. That's what he claimed to do. And that's what the resurrection proves he can do for us. And this is the story that transformed the lives of his first followers. They encountered Jesus and he changed their lives forever. And this is the story that has been transforming lives for generation after generation. And this is the story that's changing lives today. Because when you encounter Jesus, you encounter the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is a question that we all need to wrestle with. This is a question we all get to wrestle with. Did Jesus' resurrection actually happen? And and as you press in and, and look at the historical stories and say what makes more sense, the beautiful thing is you can engage your mind. You don't have to chuck your mind in the conversation. You can engage. And when you come to a point in your story where you're like, I actually think it makes more sense that this happened, you begin to have confidence that you can believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And this is a beautiful thing. If you're somebody who's in this journey of just exploring right now and, and wondering in your own own journey, is this true? You can begin to chase the question, what happened? And if you come to the point that you think it makes more sense to believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, then this gives you credibility to continue taking steps towards faith in him, to continue exploring Jesus and, and inviting him to work in your story and see if he can change your life too. And if you come to that point in the story where you have confidence in this and and you've already come to a place of belief, it gives you confidence because you don't have to close your eyes and simply hope it's true. It gives you confidence that what you believe makes sense. It strengthens your faith. Let me tell you, this has been so true in my own journey that that I came to a point where I really wanted to understand, was this just something I inherited because of what I was born into? Or is this something that I can really believe because it makes sense for me to pursue it? And as I've chased after the question, I've come to a place of of just how beautiful it is to realize that I can believe with my eyes wide open. And that's such a beautiful way to live because faith is ultimately about trust. And the more I have reason to believe it's true, the more confidence I have to place my faith, my trust in Jesus. Because what I want to know is Jesus. Can I trust you with my life? Can I trust you with my story? Can I trust you with my future? And I think what Jesus would say to us is what he said back in his day to those who were wondering if he could do something for them. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever, li- whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And because I think it makes sense that Jesus came back from the dead, it gives me confidence to trust him, to believe in him. And when I have confidence in what he's done for me, when I have confidence that what he's done for me is real, real this allows me to hold on to hope in my story when life goes sideways. When life gets topsy-turvy when life gets crazy our friends this has been an incredible year that we're all living in 2020 is one that i think we'll look back on and go what happened and i think it's so easy in in the, the the things that we're going through whether it's health fears or the loss of someone close to us or the separation we're feeling from proximity to others or the loss of job or whatever we're struggling with I think it's really easy right now to question whether or not God's at work in our story. I think it's super easy to question God's goodness and wonder, God, are, are you even a part of the, the story anymore? Like, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this crazy year? And yet the beautiful thing about looking at what Jesus has done for us, when we begin to realize what he's done for us, that, that it's actually real, it makes sense to believe this happened, then I realize something important. The proof of God's love for me, the proof of God's love for you is not determined by what happens in our lives today. The proof of God's love for us is in what he did for us through Jesus, what Jesus did for us on that cross and by defeating death 2,000 years ago. And that means that nothing today can ever take away the reality of what God has done for us. hope that we can have in who jesus is because that's a real moment in history that can never be changed by what we experience in life today and so when life gets sideways we can hold on to hope because we have confidence that it's true we have confidence that jesus Is who he said he was and he can do for us what he said he could do for us we can have confidence that he's at work in our stories even when life goes sideways we can hold on to Jesus hold on to hope because we know he's at work in our story and he's leading us on the path of life because he is the way the truth and the life and as we gain that confidence No matter what we experience in life today, we can walk with our heads held high because we know Jesus is in our story leading us into a better day and he's giving us the hope we need today. See what Jesus said? He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We hope you enjoyed this week's message.